I need a stand. <laughs> Thank you. We come to our time in the service where we're going to share in, um, a Bible reading together. And today's Bible reading comes from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 19 to 24. Kids, feel free to race your parents to try and find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 to 24. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Thank you. Welcome to church. I do want to just uh, continue to say a huge welcome to those that maybe are tuning in for the very first time. I know we're all tuning in for the first time, but those that aren't a part of our regular church community, we do want to say a huge welcome to you. Uh, You may be watching for a number of reasons. Maybe somebody invited you to watch this morning, or maybe your church doesn't have the facilities to stream. And so while your church wrestles like we all are with how do we do church, uh, we have this opportunity to um, to try and navigate into new territory. So we're really, um, I guess, privileged to have you watching in with us this morning. We do want to say a huge thank you and welcome uh, to York Street this morning. We do just once again, as it's already been said, but for your pastoral care needs, make sure you go to your church uh, for those. The other thing I just want to highlight, boys and girls, we've seen some kids in worship and I've been getting some photos from my kids at home that have been sitting on um, those round bouncing balls, bouncing through worship, like um, getting, getting a part of that, having some fun. Uh, mums and dads, if you haven't checked the Facebook, uh, York Street Facebook page, there's a message from our kids pastor, Jenny, and some of the kids team, and there's also some little activities they can do during this message, but also after the message. One of the things you can do during the message, though, if you haven't checked that, that Facebook post, is look for the little yellow bricks and see how many you can count through the message. This morning... You would think when it comes time to preparing a message for a a unique situation in our world, in the climate that we're in, you would would turn to God and go, God, what what do you want me to do? What's new? Where's where's your people at? What what do you, you feel is going to resonate in your word? But we didn't do that. We went to God, but we didn't write something fresh. And we didn't write something fresh because... We actually believe that that God has this in control and he'd prepared in his timing and his incredible plans this message ahead of time. What do I mean by that? Well, I've been in this role for about 10 months now as a senior pastor here at York Street and about 10 months ago we started meeting as a leadership team and doing retreats and, and saying, God, where do you want the future of your church in this space to go? What do you want it to look like? Who do you want us to be? What's our core values? What's our mission statement? What do we we stand for with the vision of where we're going? And so last year we met a number of times to to wrestle with what that looks like. 
And then over January, December and January, we met fairly frequently with the eldership of the church as well as the core team and started asking the question, what does this look like? We've got a deadline. We've got a Vision Sunday coming. We need to to sit in Scripture. We need to see what your word says about who you want us to be. And so in January, we sat down and wrote down the core vision and mission of York Street as well as the core values of God's church in this location. And so in January, these were the things that were put down on paper. These were the things that were put down and inked into the sermon series planned well ahead of time. These were the things that we believe God wanted for his church in this time and place. And so as I read out the title of this sermon, I want you to know that God has this in control. Because today's vision message is that we're not satisfied with the ordinary, we think and act outside the box. And I've got to say, when we put those words on, on paper, I didn't expect outside the ordinary to be me preaching into a camera with an empty church building in this space. That is, this is outside the box. This is different to what I was picturing it being like. But God has this in control. And so we're going to preach the message that God laid on our heart all those months ago for his church. We're not satisfied with the ordinary. We think and act outside the box. How can we think and act outside the box in the current state of our climate in the world as we live? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look in Scripture this morning, that you would unfold some of the things that we can do to not be satisfied with the ordinary state of the world that we see it, that the actions of people, that the stress and panic that we're experiencing in our world, but we can act and think outside the box in a way that would confuse the intellect of this world, that would show the Holy Spirit in and through how we live. Lord, that we would think and act in a way that would point people to you. Lord, we ask as we look at Scripture this morning, that you would reveal this to us and challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians talks about this idea of of destroying the wisdom of the wise. What does the wisdom of the wise look like? What, 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 do, what does wisdom look like? Well, if we get caught up in the wisdom that we've seen take place within our world recently, the wisdom would say that you're going to run out of toilet paper. So you need to go and stock up. That's the wisdom of the wise. That People are stocking up and hoarding things in not, not just enough, like not just going and getting two packets of wheat bix instead of one, but, but getting huge numbers of things and, and panicking and anxiety and stress that's disproportionate to where they need to be, especially in a country where we export so much of our food that if we do close the borders, that food doesn't get exported. We've got tons of food. That, that's the wisdom of our world. That, that's the, the, the emotions that if we let run in their natural space, do this to us. Compared to thinking outside the box, it would be weird for us to give away things. It would be weird for us to be generous. It would be weird for us to, to show love to those that are maybe quarantined, show love to those that are trying to isolate, show love generously above and beyond ourselves. That wouldn't make sense. It would confuse the wisdom of this world. Jesus did some pretty outside-the-box things. There was one time Jesus was walking and he he met a guy who couldn't see. He was blind. And Jesus healed lots of blind people. 
But this one instance, he saw this guy who was blind, which he would usually say, why don't you just do what you did before, Jesus? Why wouldn't... Or maybe he's, maybe he's just blind. Maybe he could just... You know, there's nothing they can do. But in this thinking outside the box moment, Jesus felt compelled to, to spit on the ground and make some mud. And he made some mud and he, and he placed it on the blind person's eyes. And when he washed off the mud, he could see. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense, but, but Jesus felt, as he was led through the Holy Spirit, to, to do this action. Another time, Jesus was talking to a really large crowd that had come to him for spiritual nourishment because what he said was just so good. And in that moment, he, he, his followers, his disciples said, hey, we've been doing this for a really long time and we're hungry. That if we're hungry, everybody else is hungry. And so we need to give them some food. But it's going to cost so much money. We don't have that kind of money, let alone being able to find that much food. Like, we're, we're, the shelves are empty. Like, we can't do anything. What can we do, Jesus? And Jesus said, well, what do you have? And they said, well, we, we've got nothing. We're not even prepared. But there's this little boy who's really generous, this little child that's offered to share what he has. And what he had was two fish and five loaves. And we know in this story that Jesus took the fish and the loaves and he broke it and he gave it out to, to over 5,000 men as well as women and children. And not only did they eat enough that they were satisfied, but when they collected the, the leftovers, they filled basket after basket after basket. You see, the wisdom of this world would say, well, we can't do that. It's beyond us. But the, the thinking outside the box, the way that Jesus listened to the Holy Spirit and used what he had to glorify God worked out in miraculous ways. We would think in our current climate that we just want to keep things to ourselves. We'd want to not be too generous. We'd be, be a little bit afraid and, and trying to stock up. But Jesus then says in Luke that it is better to give than receive. It is better to give than receive. Today we're going to spend some time looking at an Old Testament character. A man who didn't have a lot for the start of his life. He, he, he had three things that were going for him. The first thing he had is he had integrity. He had character and he had a really good moral compass. That were the three things that he had. Integrity, character, and a really good moral compass. If, if you're not somebody who's tuned into church before or anything, you can understand what a moral compass is. It's making morally correct decisions. If you've got a faith background, then a moral compass, we believe that our morals come from God. Then God gives us the way to live and the way to sacrificially live, the way to love, the way to care. And so we believe our, our moral compass comes from God. So if you're tuning in for the, for the very first time, I'm going to use the words moral compass. If you're a believer, that means you've got a faith in God that's bigger than yourself. And, and if you look, the, the first book of God's word is in, in the Bible is a book called Genesis. And it talks about the creation of the world and it talks about how things sort of started off in life and how we messed up our relationship with God. And towards the end of this book in Genesis, we see a, a character... Uh, one of these people who 
who would go on to be known in history and to actually be a part, sort of the forefather of a generation and a nation. His name was Joseph. And, and Joseph had these three things, character and integrity and a moral compass. He, he was born with, with a bunch of brothers and, and because he had a good work ethic and because he worked hard at character and integrity and because he, he had made wise decisions, a good moral compass, and because he was born to, to his father at his father's older age, he was younger, and he became a bit of a favourite son because he worked really hard and he did the right things and all of a sudden his other brothers became really jealous of him. And now his brothers are super jealous of him and because of that they, they start to, to feel like they don't like him very much and they ended up starting to, to hate him, despise him, to the point where one day they decided they're going to kill him. And they put him down in a well and they were going to kill him and then one of the other brothers said, well, don't kill him, we could make some money out of him, how about we sell him into slavery? Which they did, they, they sold this, this young guy into slavery but because he, what he took with him was his integrity, his character and his moral compass. He took that with him and he started working for, for a, a, a leader within the land. And because he, he worked hard, because he had good morals, good ethics, good character, he, he worked his way up the food chain and, and became really well known to his master and he was, he was treated well and he, he, he was known by all the other servants as being a really good guy and and he also caught the eye of his master's wife. He was a hard worker, he was good looking. And all of a sudden she thought, he really is good looking. She started to make advances. And because he had a moral compass, he just goes, no, that's not right. And she, this is one day she made a really forward advance at him. He says, no, I respect you too much. I respect your husband too much. And I respect myself too much. Three strikes, you're out. I'm gone. And he bolts and he jumps out the window and he runs and she grabs his coat and he's gone. He's just legging. He's running away from the situation. And she takes the coat and shows it to her husband and says, hey, look, and makes up a story. And the husband knew that this guy had character and integrity and a moral compass and knew it wasn't right but because of the shame because of the, the what other people had said because of the gossip because of the, the the insult that it would be on the family he had no choice but to put joseph in prison now because joseph had a faith in god he also had what we call a spiritual gift a gift that was supernatural and i don't know if you've ever had a moment where you've dreamt something and then it's come true you ever had i get you to raise your hand, but I can't. If I look really close, I might be able to see it. Um, but, but, you know, those... <laughs> this one? So, so, you know, those moments where you, you, you have a dream, and it's like, almost like deja vu, but it hasn't happened before. It was a dream, and you go, oh, what is that? Now, in the Bible, that, that's known as prophecy. It, it's knowing that something's going to happen before it happens. And, and when you're, you're sitting in a relationship with God, sometimes you, you can... You can understand that or you know you talk to somebody else who can translate that now joseph was unique because he both had the the gift of being able to to pray like dream about what the future was but then he could also interpret those dreams and so while he's in jail for not doing anything wrong other than being someone with integrity character and a moral compass two other prisoners join him and, and one of the prisoners says, I, I, I had this weird dream, I can't sleep, I had this weird dream, what does it mean? And Joseph goes, well, that dream actually means that you're going to be okay. In a few days' time, you're, you're going to be back doing your old job. 
don't forget me. Go and do that. That'd be great. Another prisoner came in and goes, oh, I'm the same thing. I'm having this shocking dream. What does that mean? And Joseph goes, well, um, I can't pick and choose what the dream means. I've got to be honest because I've got my integrity and my character. I've got to say what it means. And so it means actually you're going to die. You've done the wrong thing and it, it's not going to go well for you. I'm sorry. Sure enough, a few days later, one person is killed. The other one is restored back into his place of work. A few a time passes, and the leader of the land in Egypt, known as Pharaoh, is having a dream that is just keeping him up. He can't sleep. You know those dreams that just keep coming? It's like you're falling and you're almost at the ground, and you wake up in a cold sweat. Um, I remember this one time, this is part of the message, but I remember, you know those times when you're just not quite fully awake, fully in control? When we were newly married, Yvette and I were, were you know, waking up you know, in the first few weeks of marriage, I remember rolling over and seeing my beautiful wife and just feeling like, oh, I'm so in love, you are just the most amazing person in the whole world. Oh, and she had a little piece of hair just across her face, and I thought I'll just whisk the hair away. I'll just... You know, like, just take that hair across her face. And, and as I went to, to move that in that half-asleep state, I got to about here and realised I have no control over my arm at all. It is dead asleep. And, and it felt like about 30 seconds of just like, ah, ah. sorry, sound guys. And, and all of a sudden, Yvette's like fast asleep and all of a sudden just slap right across her face. And, and I'm trying to pull my sleep half-arm and she's She's like, what, what? I'm like, ah, I love you. So, you know those moments where you have these weird dreams and you can't sleep and, and then you keep replaying like and every time you see hair across your wife's white face, you just go, no. <laughs> you know those, those times when, when maybe it's, it's a bad dream and you just can't shake it. it, it it's something that you're, you're just wrestling with. Pharaoh's having this dream. It's keeping him awake. And he's calling all his mates, he's calling all his friends, he's calling all the wise people, he's using all his, his influence and power to gather people together. What does this dream mean? And no one can answer it. And all of a sudden, one of his servants, who had been in jail and had talked to a guy who could interpret dreams, remembered, goes, oh yeah, I forgot, I know a guy. Pharaoh, I know a guy I might be able to help. And so they get Joseph and they... They clean him up, give him a shower and shave him and make him more presentable for the Pharaoh, the, the ruler of the land. And Joseph goes and, and speaks to Pharaoh and, and is able to interpret the dream that Pharaoh has. And interpreting the dream, Pharaoh goes, well, well part of the dream was you need to be in charge of, of some food rations. And, and he goes, oh, I need someone to do that. Well, if you can interpret the dream, you can care for the food. And so Joseph now has influence over the food. And it says a little while later, a famine comes through the land. And Joseph is now overseeing a lot of what is happening in Egypt. He's like second in charge under the, the Pharaoh. And his brothers in a far-off land are starting to go hungry. And so they set off because they've heard in Egypt they've got stockpiles of food. And they go to Egypt and start talking to the person in charge of the food, not realising that they're talking to their brother. Their brother who had 
that they'd tried to kill their brother, that they'd planned to kill the brother that they'd sold in slavery because they'd done that, the brother had been in jail. And in, in earthly wisdom, in the wisdom of this world, it's time to get even. It's time for justice. It's time to, to, to lock this in. This is, this is the moment. But we read in Genesis chapter 50 how Joseph acted outside the box, outside the way that we would usually think. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19, he says, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. He reveals who he is. They're pretty scared by now. The whole family's been gathered. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I'm not going to judge you. I'm not in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what was now done in saving many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What do you have? What things in the, in the world, in the climate that we're in, with, with being stuck at home, with, with jobs and, and the uncertainty of it all, what has God given you? What do you have? Joseph had his integrity, had his, in, his character, and he had his relationship with God the Father, his moral compass, where that came from. Because of that, he, he acted in a way that was so outside the box in, in those times. He acted when his brothers sold him into slavery. He, he acted in a way he could have been bitter, he could have been twisted, he could have been upset, he could have been trying to get even, he could have been plotting. But instead he forgave and made the best out of the situation time and time again. Times he, he got, made the best out of the situation when he was put in charge of somebody's house and then he was falsely accused. He made his best out of the situation even when he was in prison. He made the best out of the situation even when he was given a lot of authority and put in charge. Integrity, character and a moral compass. What do you have? What things are you going to hang on to in this season in our world, in this current climate? In John 13, verse 35, it says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. I want to say that it doesn't matter what's happening in our world or what's going on. Jesus has this in control. God created the world. He knows what's going to happen. He lives outside of time. This is not a surprise to God. God knew that, that we would be preaching outside the box this morning before the government said gatherings shouldn't meet. God knew that, that when we were going to be rationing food or getting worried about these things that, that actually the church has an opportunity to rise up and be different to our culture, different to our world, to, to show love in a new and exciting way. We have an opportunity not to be satisfied with what's happening in our world, but to be the change makers, to have our character and integrity, but more important that, than that, to have our moral compass, which comes from God, have our relationship. Does that mean Joseph wasn't afraid? Does that mean Joseph didn't have anxiety? Does that mean Joseph didn't have questions? Of course he did. He was human. But he made a decision in those moments 
to put God first, to act in a way, to, to live sacrificially for others. I want to challenge us as a church, as God's church, no matter where you are, how you're watching this, if you're watching it live on Sunday morning, if you're watching it this afternoon with the 6pm congregation, if you're watching it any other time, I want to encourage you to look at yourself and find those things, and we, we preached about this last week, about those times when you put yourself up to a mirror and you'd say, God, you know my innermost thoughts you can see through any facade. You can see through the lies. You can see my very core. Could you find those things that would represent the world and the ordinary, the selfish desires, the things that, that are causing me anxiety, the things that are causing me fear? And Lord, would you help me, knowing that it is a journey, to replace those emotions, to replace those feelings with you, with your Holy Spirit? Lord, would you help me to, to not act and get caught up in these things, but to have my character and my integrity and my relationship with you? Would you help me to be wise enough in whatever form that looks like to surround myself with godly people that will help me to live a godly life? If that's phone calls, if that's Facebook, if that's not Facebook, if that's blocking out other voices, thinking outside the box turning off the media feed that's, that's feeding some of the anxiety within us and listening to maybe some Christian worship, listening to some sermons, some podcasts, or, or being anchored in Scripture. I have two challenges for us this morning. The first one is what do you have? What has God given you? that you can use to not be happy with the ordinary, but to think outside the box. The mission of the church has not changed. The vision of the church has not changed. The, the gift that is Jesus Christ has not changed. The expression of it has. How do we think outside the box for the glory of God? How do we think outside the box so we can lead people into relationship with him and disciple them so they're empowered to do the same? What do you have? For some that are listening, you may not know where this moral compass comes from. It's attractive. It's a good thing. When you see the greed and people fighting for toilet paper and you see some people trying to serve their community, you go, yes, I want that. That doesn't look good. This looks good. That generosity is so countercultural to our world. And it comes from our relationship with God. God loved us so much that he gave a gift. He is a giving God. He is a loving God. He's not a, a consuming God and a, and a selfish God and a needy God. These things that we see in this outside-the-box living comes from God. If you wonder where that comes from, if you're wrestling with what this is, and you're full of anxiety or fear, I want to challenge you to, to pray a prayer. You don't have to pray it now. You can choose to do it after. You can wrestle with it. You can send some messages back and forwards to the, the team at your local church or the church here. But I want to encourage you to pray a prayer. And the prayer goes like this. Dear Heavenly Father, there are things in me that I don't like. There are things that, that are in me that get so caught up with thinking about myself, full of fear, 
full of anxiety, that are disproportionate to where they should be. And I know that. There are things that I do that I'm not happy with. There are thoughts that I have that I know are not good. Lord, I want to ask that you would send your spirit into my life and into those spaces. Lord, I accept you into my heart, into my life. May I not be satisfied with the ordinary. May I think and act in a way that would please you. Help me to listen to your voice. Help me to align myself with your word. And help me to be different in this world. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to to reach out maybe to your local church, the church that's closest to you, the church that you resonate with. Or could I encourage you maybe to to reach out to here at York Street if if you're not connected to a church. If you're in another city outside of Ballarat, you can still reach out to York Street and we will connect you to a church that's closer to you. We pray that this week that we can be difference makers, that we wouldn't be satisfied with the ordinary, that we would think and act outside the box and in doing so be a positive influence in the lives of others so that we can point people to the one who loves us the most.